Let's turn together this morning in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to take a break from our study in Samuel this morning to reflect upon the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And there's no better text from which to do that than from what the Apostle Peter has written for us. And just by way of introduction, let us remember that the Apostle Peter is writing this text and this letter to a persecuted people. And uh, this is being written to the Christians that are enslaved, dispersed, and persecuted. They are pressed down, though they are not crushed. They are persecuted, but they are not abandoned. And the Apostle Peter is writing to them that they might have hope, that they might have joy, that they might have life, and they would have it abundantly. In spite of the reality of their circumstance, the Apostle Peter wants them to remember and to reflect upon the nature of the salvation that has been given to them and brought to them by God Almighty through the person and work of Jesus Christ, their Savior. And in doing so, he's going to reflect upon not only Christ in his life and death, but he is going to point them in verses 3, 4, and 5 directly to the resurrection. And so we're going to consider this text together this morning, this Easter Sunday morning. Before we read it, let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray that as you have given life to Christ Jesus, our Lord, that you would give us life as well. Lord, that you would breathe life into our dead hearts and minds, that you would open them, that we might receive knowledge and truth, that we would receive faith and repentance, that you would speak to us clearly and loudly, that we would know you more today than we ever have. God, do for us now what we cannot do as we turn to your word. God, use it to convict our hearts and to teach us the gospel. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. First Peter chapter 1, read verses 3, 4, and 5. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Amen. Uh, He's going to go on from this text, and we may consider uh, at a later point in the sermon what he has to say after this, but you'll notice the issue of various trials comes up, and he is pointing to the glorious reality of salvation, particularly in so much as their hope and joy is connected and founded in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead so that they would be able to persevere in the trials of their life. For they find themselves in extremely difficult circumstances, and the, uh, the, the, their, their lives have not necessarily turned out the way that they had hoped. Uh, the circumstances of their life are not what they maybe long for from day to day. But he does not want them to lose heart. He does not want them to despair of grace or to think that God has forgotten or forsaken them. And to some degree, I think this is an appropriate text for us because we may not be persecuted and oppressed the way that the Christians that were the recipients of this letter were. But friends, we live in a dark and in a dying world, don't we? And we live lives that are extremely difficult at times. And we operate under God's providence that is not always easy for us. I mean, cancer is prevalent and death is imminent and children are wayward and jobs are lost and hard to find and 
relationships are crumbling and sickness and despair is all around us. And so to some degree, I think it's important that we reflect this morning on the resurrection because Peter is going to declare that it is through the resurrection of Jesus Christ that God our Father and the Father of our Lord Jesus has caused us to be born to a living hope. And so in part, as we will come to more particularly at the end of this sermon, in part, our question is, do you have hope? As you struggle along and labor along and plot along in the day-to-day difficulties of your life, do you have hope? And what is your hope in? I mean, it's the only hope you have that maybe things will get better. Friends, they will not get better. Maybe they will get better temporarily. Maybe they will not. But what we know for certain, especially in a spiritual sense, is that things are only going to get worse. That decay is decaying. That death is coming. What is our hope in? I mean, I don't know. It's Easter Sunday. Maybe you're only here this morning because it's Easter. Maybe you're only here this morning because family drug you here and you would rather not be here and you think that a... Most of what we have to say and what we believe in and what we're doing this morning is a bunch of hokum or mumbo-jumbo. I mean, what is your hope that if you would just be a better person, things might turn around? Or for you Christians, those of you who are faithful, I mean, what is your hope that if you would just be a better Christian, you could just love God more, that everything, everything would get better? That, that somehow that this Christianity that we celebrate, that we teach, that we hold fast to this gospel, that it... That it that it's a, a genie in a bottle, you know, that, that we can just call on it and, and believe in it and somehow that it would just fix all of our problems. Folks, we live in a difficult age. We live in a decaying world. Friends, we are terribly corrupted by sin. We are persecuted and pressed down and troubled. And Peter wants us with the Christians to whom he was writing to find hope. And friends, what I want you to see is that our hope is founded in the doctrine of the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. See, that that may be novel to you. It, it, It may not seem new, or you may have heard many Christian pastors talk about their desire that you have hope. We want you to have hope, and we want you to have joy, and we want you to be confident that there is a salvation, and there is something more, and there is something coming to those of us who believe. But have you, ever, have you ever heard it particularly identified with the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Because that's what Peter says. And so you realize that it is potentially, I, I mean, I don't have the statistical number, I don't know. But what I know is that it is possibly one of the most opposed doctrines in all of the Christian scriptures. The resurrection from the dead. Not only of Jesus Christ our Lord, but also of his people who find their hope for a resurrection, a bodily resurrection, unto salvation, joy, and completion in his resurrection. I mean, friends, for centuries, for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, one of the main things, one of the main doctrines that opponents of the Christian scriptures and of the Christian faith have opposed is they have said, you know, I may can go a long way and and understand and believe in a lot of what Christians have to say and what the Bible has to say, but I just can't buy this resurrection business. Maybe Jesus was a good teacher. Maybe Jesus was even a martyr. Maybe, maybe many of them, maybe you want to take the morality of the scriptures and, and the part of the Bible that 
you know, teaches you right from wrong or makes you feel warm and fuzzy inside or gives you some sort of leadership or guidance. And you want, you want all of those things from the Bible, but when the Bible starts talking about a resurrection from the dead, you're out. Friends, like so many others, and I was reading this week of, of opponents uh, to this doctrine of the resurrection of the dead. You'll find this amusing. Maybe some of you will. Some of you are sci-fi nerds. Computer scientist, a computer scientist, I don't have his name from around the world, multiple of them actually, they have posited that no, they do not believe in a bodily resurrection of humanity, but they do believe in a resurrection in the end when we are turned into robots. And, and that the new heavens and the new earth will be like a giant supercomputer mainframe that's run by the, the newly resurrected robots. Uh, the kids think that's funny. I mean, it's ridiculous. But do you understand that you get to that sort of stupidity because of your utter unwillingness to believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ? that he has been raised from the dead, and that he is alive. Friends, Paul declares that our hope and our joy of salvation is rooted in this singular doctrine, that is, the resurrection from the dead. And let me encourage you this morning, if you struggle with the idea that we believe that Jesus was raised from the dead, and accordingly we believe that we have a hope that we will be raised from the dead as was Christ Jesus according to the power of God at work in him that there is a resurrection coming to us if you struggle with that if you can't buy that this morning let me encourage you with Peter about the centrality of this doctrine friends it makes all that you, you know you say what difference does it make I believe a lot of what the Bible says does it really matter if I can't buy the resurrection Friends, the resurrection of Jesus makes all the difference in the world. Let, let, me give you, let me give you a framework, three reasons why. Because without the resurrection of Jesus, you are left with empty religion. Empty religion. Without the resurrection of Jesus, you have no confidence that your sins have been paid for. None. And without the resurrection of Jesus, you have no hope for a life in the future. So you have empty religion where sins are not atoned for, where all you can hope for is the death that is coming to you. Those things hinge. They, they are the wheel that revolves around the hub, which is the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. So it makes all the difference in the world, number one. And, and, and mainly at the end of the sermon, we're going to return to this text. But because of Peter's rooting our hope and our joy in what God has done for us in salvation, in his rooting that in the resurrection, we're going to have to speak generally and do a little bit of work on how and why that is, why the resurrection is so important. So, friends, first, it makes all the difference in the world to your religion. Because without the resurrection of Jesus, you're left with nothing but an empty religion. Why is that? If you go to Romans chapter 1 and verse 4, you don't have to turn there, you just listen. What you would find is that Jesus, it says, is declared to be the Son of God in power, quote, by his resurrection from the dead. Now, if, you'll, if you were with us in the time when we studied all the way through Mark's gospel, and if you weren't, that's not a problem. If you've spent any time reading the accounts in the gospels and the scriptures of the life and death of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, then what you know is, what you should know, is that the thing that men so opposed him for was his claim to be God. 
They didn't have a problem with so much, you know, so much else. But when Jesus claimed to be the Son of God, when Jesus claimed to be God Himself, the incarnated God in the flesh, everybody they had a, they had a problem. So much so his claim that when he came on trial, if you remember, before Pontius Pilate and before the religious leaders in the Sanhedrin, they made all sorts of claims against him. And it says that he stood silent as a lamb before its shears. But when they asked him, are you the son of God? What did he say? You have said rightly. The only, the only time he defended himself and spoke up was in regard to his identity. And it was for his claims to deity that his life was taken, that his life was given. His claim to be God cost him his life. He was killed because of his claim to be divine. God in the flesh come to be with us. And friends, what we must understand, the reason that Peter can root, as he says, that we have been born again to a living hope, how? Through the resurrection, is because in part, it is in the resurrection that the deity that he claimed and evidenced in his life In the resurrection, it was proven. Now, here's the difference. You can look at the life of Jesus, and there was all sorts of claims to be be divine. He he claimed to be the Son of God. He walked around and told people, right? His miracles, the things that he did, they evidenced that he was divine, that he raised, raised the dead, gave sight to the blind, restored the withered hand. Friends, there were all of these evidences that he was doing these things that only God could do. But the deity that he claimed that cost him his life and the deity that his life gave evidence to ultimately is proven to be fact when he is raised from the dead. You know why? Because only God can do that. How many people do you know have been raised from the dead? Zero. None. None. And so that it is in the resurrection, he is proven to be truly God. And you say, well, is that is that that big of a deal? Is that that central? It, it is. Listen, here's how it relates to the nature of your religion. And I say your religion, what, whatever it is that you espouse, whatever belief system that you have, whatever morality. All, listen, all of friends, all of you in here, I, I don't know all of you intimately necessarily all of you in here have some sense of religion and morality you know why because you don't you think it's wrong for me to kill you and for me to steal your car before the service is over or for someone to assault your children there's some sense of morality so we have some system by which we seek to be good or seek to be better so let me tell you why the resurrection that proves the deity of jesus why that's so important to the nature of your religion whatever your moral system is because if he was not truly god as the resurrection proves then he could not have been perfect For Paul tells us, the scripture tells us, there is none perfect, not even one. There is none who seeks after God. You say, well, what's the significance of that? There was only one who has ever lived a perfect life, and that was Jesus. He was only able to live a perfect life because of his divinity. And if he had not lived a perfect life of perfect obedience, then there would be no righteousness for us except our own. Now, that's important. If he had not been risen from the gra- if he had not been raised from the grave, then he would not and could not be God. And if he is not truly God, then he could not have been perfectly righteous. And if his perfect righteousness is not credited and imputed to us, then we stand in our own righteousness only. Do you see? 
that apart from the deity of Jesus that is proven in the resurrection, the only righteousness is your own. Friends, I don't know about you, but if I have to stand in my own righteousness, I'm terrified. Okay, so if you believe in some religious system that denies the resurrection and does not see it to be central, then you stand in a religious system that is trusting in your own righteousness. Secondly, if he was not truly God, then he could not have paid for your sins. What I mean by this is not only would your righteousness, in order to merit blessing, you would be trusting in your own righteousness, but if he was not God, then he could not have stood perfectly in our stead, in our place. Which means that the wrath of God against sin, against our own personal sins, could not yet have been paid. So not only would you be trusting in your own righteousness to merit blessing, you would have to trust in your own ability to withstand the judgment of God against your sin. Friends, you would have your own righteousness and the punishment for your sins would be your own. And if he had not been God... God in the flesh and God only, then he could not have defeated the powers of evil. And we would still be enslaved to them. Friends, if God, if Jesus had not been God, we would still be lost. And if you do not believe in the resurrection of Christ from the grave, then ultimately you believe in a system of religion whereby you are trying to work your way to heaven because you're trusting in your own righteousness and you're trusting in your own ability to pay for your sin and you're trusting in yourself to be good enough. Friends, apart from the bodily resurrection from the grave of Jesus Christ, you have religion, but you can never have life. You know, what's the difference? And I've said this to you before. Have you ever thought of this? Have you ever thought what the difference in religion and Christianity is? And I've said this before in here. The difference between Christianity and all the religions of the world is simply this. That in all the religions of the world, they set up a system whereby you must be good enough to get to God. But Christianity is a system. It's a religion where you cannot ever be good enough to get to God. So God came to you. Do, do you see? So that if Jesus was not God, which is proved by his resurrection from the dead, if Jesus was not God, then he has not come to us. Do you see? And if he has not come to us, then we would be lost. So, friends, you need to see first that this doctrine of the resurrection from the dead, it is central to our religion. But secondly, and more particularly, that's in the most general sense, more particularly, and this will be briefer, it is central to our justification. It makes all the difference in the world as to whether or not we have actually been justified. I alluded to this a moment ago as I said that our sins would not have been forgiven. Our sins would not be paid for. Friends, Romans 8, 33 and 34. I'm going to turn there for just a second. You can turn there with me or you can listen along. In Romans chapter 8. Beginning of verse 31, listen to what Paul says. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give all things? 
Then he, listen, then he asks, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? In other words, who will condemn them? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, and more than that, was raised. Do you see that Paul is making the connection that we are justified and that our sins have been paid? And the proof of that, the evidence of that, is in the resurrection of Jesus from the grave. Here's what I mean. If Jesus on the cross bore our sins, and he suffered under the judgment and wrath of God against our sins, the brutal death that resulted, if he was still in the grave, then the payment for that sin would have been rejected. But friends, our hope and our confidence that the sins have been paid, that the payment has been received, is that the penalty of sin did not result only in death, but that the forgiveness and the grace of God resulted in restored life. So that when we look at the risen Jesus from the grave, that Jesus has been raised unto life, he is no longer dead because of our sin and the weight of God's judgment against that sin. We have been raised unto life. He has been raised unto life so that we can look with all confidence and say, God accepted the payment for our sin. We have been justified. Who is it that can condemn us? For Christ Jesus died for us, yes, but more than that, he was raised for us. Ligon Duncan, Ligon Duncan said that he was vindicated in the resurrection, Jesus, and that his vindication is proof that our sins have been forgiven. Does, does that make sense? That Jesus was vindicated in dying for sins by being raised unto life. And when we see the vindication of Jesus, we have confidence that our sins have been forgiven. Friends, it was our sins. We sang just a moment ago, it was my sin that kept him there. He did not bear his own sin. He did not die on account of his own sin. He bore our sins on the cross. And he died making payment for our sins under the wrath of God against our sins. But the grace and the forgiveness and the power of God, having received that payment, restored him unto new life and brought him up from the grave. And friends, when we see that reality, we can know and be sure that if we trust in him, that there is none that can condemn us. Because see, what, what, what's the problem with our life? I mean, it's not just the temporal circumstances of difficulty, is it? it it's, not, it's not just the, I mean, maybe it is for you, I hope it's not, but it, it's not just the problems of family and work and whatever. One of the greatest frustrations I hope for the Christian is the issue of continuing sin. That, yeah, I'm a believer in Jesus, and yeah, I've been transformed, and yeah, I've been made new, but I still struggle every day. And I still fall every day. And those indwelling and struggles with sin, they can cause us to think, maybe I'm not saved. Maybe my sins have not been paid for. Maybe I'm not yet redeemed. Maybe my justification is not sure. Friends, on this Easter Sunday morning as we celebrate the resurrection, let us be confident. For there is no one that can condemn us who are in Christ Jesus. For Christ, who died for our sins has been raised from the dead. And in him, if we are united with him in his sufferings, so too shall we be united with him in his resurrection. That's what Peter's going to talk about in chapter 4 of this book. 
That's what he's going to talk about. We're not going to read it, but he goes on and he says, In so much as we have participated in the sufferings of Christ, so too shall we participate in his glory. Friends, we have all the confidence in the world that the payment for our sin has been received and that we have been justified because Jesus rose from the dead, that the grave could not hold him. So it makes all the difference in the world to your uh, religion. It makes all the difference in the world to your justification. And it makes all the difference in the world to your expectation. You know, as I said that at the beginning, not only would it give you an empty religion where all you can have is death and not life, not only would it give you no confidence that your sins have been paid for, but that if but that apart from an understanding of the doctrine of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, you have absolutely no hope for the future. What is it that we expect as Christians? It makes all the difference in the world in what you expect, in how you expect it, where your hope lies. And I began at the beginning of this. If you look back at the passage where we are, First Peter chapter 3, it says, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection. What is it about the resurrection of Jesus that gives us a hope? And what is it that through the resurrection we are born to hope for? Well, our hope is for the next life. Our hope is for life eternal. Our hope is for salvation and redemption. See, friends, the Christian life is not a call to come and sit in the midst of life's joys, to to live it up today for tomorrow you die. The Christian life is a call to sit in the midst of life's struggles and troubles and difficulties with a hope and a longing for the joy and the completion and the fulfillment and the salvation that is one day coming. Because, see, in the resurrection of Jesus, not only is he proved to be divine, not only are our sins proved to be paid for, but we are encouraged that we will be raised as was Jesus. The resurrection is proof that he has conquered death and that he has conquered the one who has power over death. Hebrews 2.14, if you go there, says that he put on flesh and blood and became a man so that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. And deliver all of those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. 1 Corinthians 15.55, what does it recount? It talks about the nature of the gospel there. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Hosea 13, 14. I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. Oh, death, I will be your plagues, he declares. Oh, grave, I will be your destruction. Do you see that though death is coming to all of us, death is nothing for us to fear. For we have a hope that although we will die in so much as we suffer with Christ, we will be raised with Christ by the power of God who raised Christ from the dead. It is our hope for something more. As I mentioned a moment ago in chapter 4 of this letter, Peter is going to proclaim that as we suffer with him, so we will be exalted with him. And again, Ligon Duncan said of this passage, he said, as you see Jesus raised, as you trust in him to be who was raised, you are seeing a prediction of your future experience. A prediction. God's verdict. God, we, we see in Christ Jesus and in his resurrection from the grave, friends, what we hope for to come to us. 
that death will not have the final say. That as we suffer in this life, whatever struggle, whatever trouble, whatever difficulty that you face, that it does not have the final say. That cancer does not have the final say. That wayward children, that whatever the difficulty, that the circumstances of this life, that they do not have the final say. Why? Because our hope is in resurrection. That we will be resurrected unto new life. That we will be saved and committed unto Him eternally. So what's the result of that as we close? The result is hope. Do you see how building up this understanding of the doctrine of the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the bodily resurrection of Christ from the grave, that it is the source of hope for the Christian? That's what Peter says, isn't it? That it is through this understanding of the resurrection where Jesus is proven to be divine, where our sins are proven to be paid, and where a future resurrection is proven to be true. It is through this understanding that he can say that God has caused us then to be born to a living hope. Friends, you struggle and you suffer and you labor day in and day out, but you do not do so in vain. We do so with hope and with joy. We have hope that God our Father is who He says He is, just based on the nature of the resurrection, the things that we've talked about this morning. We have hope that His only begotten Son, Jesus, was absolutely divine and God, that His sacrifice was sufficient to atone for our sins. We have hope that He is victorious over death and the grave, and so too shall we be. We have hope that as we share in his sufferings, we will also share in his glorification, in his resurrection. Do you see that we are born to a living hope through the resurrection? But what does Peter say about this hope? I mean, it's only to tell you we should have hope, but let's, let's be practical. What does the hope look like? What does it mean for you to have hope in the resurrection, be born to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead? Well, he says, well, he says a lot, but I'm, I'm going to point to three things. The first thing that he says is it is a living hope. It is a living hope. Isn't that exactly what he says? That blessed be God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Born again to a living hope. Friends, you say, what does that even mean? Let me. The best way to, to explain it to you is to tell you what it doesn't mean. Those who are not united with Christ and whose foundation for hope is not in the resurrection of Jesus, friends, they only have a dying hope. Have you ever thought, let's think about the opposite, a dying hope. What is a dying hope? Friends, a dying hope was my hope in Kentucky last night. That's not a living hope. Had you asked me before the Kentucky ball game, who I thought was going to win and what I ho- I told you that I hoped Kentucky. We talk about this all the time, don't we? We hope for things. I hope Kentucky wins. I would have even had some measure of confidence that they were going to win. And I would have given you a prediction that they would probably win. But that hope would have proved to have been unmerited, wouldn't it? It would have, it would have proved to be dying, wouldn't it? The difference in that type of earthly hope and this living hope is that our hope in the resurrection of Jesus is founded in the power of Almighty God. It's not something that we hope for to be possible that we might be raised as was Christ. It is something that is sure. It is as if you had asked me before, did I hope for Kentucky to win if I had known the result of the game? See, 
because of the resurrection, because of what the picture that we see in Christ Jesus, we've been given the result that he has been raised by the power of God who is going to work in us to raise us from the grave. You see, we've been, we've been given to see the full measure of the picture, the end, at the beginning. And so it, it births in us a living hope, not a dying hope. A grounded and true hope, not one that is unfounded and possible, but a hope that is definite and actual. Friends, let me, let me tell you, it is a hope that, that, that means for those of us who are united with Christ Jesus by grace through faith, we will be raised we will be raised unto life because Christ Jesus our Savior was. So first he says that it's a living hope, not like the hope I had in Kentucky. But secondly, he says it's a heavenly hope. Look at what he says. First of all, it's heavenly because of where it comes from. And second of all, it is heavenly because of where it resides. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again into a living hope. So we're thankful to God the Father who has caused us to be born again to this hope. Then look what he says, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. This is not an earthly hope. This is not even a hope in earthly things, that things will get better. This is a heavenly hope for which God is the source. It's a hope for an inheritance that cannot be corrupted, that will not ever fade. It is a hope for an inheritance from the one who can and will do exceedingly, abundantly more than we could think or ask, Ephesians 3.20. It's a heavenly hope. Friends, people often look at Christians, faithful Christians, who have this sort of undying joy and hope in the midst of their life's greatest struggles. When their children die and when their families come under scrutiny and when when things fall apart and, and they're seen to be joyful and hopeful. And people say, how does that happen? How do you have that kind of resolution? How do you, how do you have that kind of hope? Friends, it's because their hope is not in this life. Their hope is in an, in an, in an eternal inheritance from God the Father. It's a heavenly hope. It's a hope that cannot be seen. It's an inheritance that cannot be grasped yet today. Thirdly, he says, not only is it living, not dying, is it heavenly, not earthly, he says it is secure. It's a secure hope. Much like the previous, friends, if it is in heaven from God, who can take it? Look, he mentions that. Blessed be God because of this hope that he has caused us to be born to. This inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, kept in heaven for you. Who is keeping it? God is. Who by God's power are being guarded, that's we are being guarded, through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. God is the source of our hope, and God is the holder of our hope. He secures it. Friends, it's a hope that is sure. Friends, I don't, I don't know where you are today. I don't know what struggles you may be dealing with. I don't know. Um, I don't know. But what I know is this. If you are united with Christ, who died on the cross to pay for your sin, and who rose from the dead unto life 
as the evidence and proof, as the prediction of what is coming to us, then you have all the reason in the world to hope. You see, the resurrection makes all the difference. Friends, let us believe with all of our hearts in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Let us believe with all of our hearts that we too shall be raised. For he was God. For our sins have been paid for. And it is birthed in us a hope that cannot be stolen. It cannot be shattered. It cannot be taken. Friends, there is nothing in this life that can come upon you that can squash that hope. For our hope is in Christ Jesus, and he is risen today. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you are risen from the dead. That you have paid the penalty for our sins. Not in the evidence. What is coming to us is in that God accepted that payment and raised you to life. God, I pray very simply this morning that we would think carefully about the resurrection and that you would cause us to be born to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. God, help us to sit in the midst of life's difficulties and struggles today hoping for, with confidence, for the joy and salvation and resurrection that will come to us on the last day. In Jesus Christ's precious and holy name we pray. Amen.